0: Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers in order that you become a light in your homes in your schools in your workplaces and even in your local church body let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people once again i just thank you for listening and may god bless you abundantly as we have a guest speaker this morning i'm so excited cooper stars you come on up This is uh, the associate pastor of Hazelwood Presbyterian down the street. He's a a buddy of mine. I love this man. I love his heart. I love his heart for Jesus. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say. He's going to be preaching um, out of the wisdom of James. And so let's pray for him. Come here. I'm going to put my hands on him. Ask God to just speak through him. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for Cooper. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for all that you have given him as far as his ability to just seek your word and the wisdom that you've given him. Father, I pray that that is clearly heard this morning, that the word of God, that your word, your truth is heard. Father, I pray for us in this room that you soften our hearts, soften our minds, that you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Lord, let us not be the hardened soil that the word of God just bounces off. Lord, let it just penetrate and let it cultivate and let it completely... Produce crop and fruit. And Father, I thank you. I ask that you just move mightily. I pray that you destroy him. You destroy all of his flesh, all that's in him that is not of you, and that every word that comes out of his mouth be in line with your will. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It is my joy and pleasure to be here to preach the word this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to a. Uh, James chapter 3 is where we're going to start. So again, if you don't know me, my my name is Cooper. Uh, My wife Hannah is right there. My daughter Allie Ray, who's two and a half, is in the uh, other room with the other children. But as I said, so James chapter 3, and if you would, turn there with me. Let's get started. So have you ever learned to fix something by watching YouTube videos? If you go to YouTube, you can find videos on just about anything you want. If you want to try to pick up guitar playing, you can go to YouTube and look up videos. If you want to try to fix your car, there's a lot of videos on YouTube. A while back I was driving an old Volkswagen Passat and my window stopped going up and down. I was sure it was the motor was broken and you know it makes this awful grinding noise whenever you try to make the window go up or down. But I researched it on YouTube and found out it's not the motor, it's a window regulator panel, which I had no idea what that was. But thanks to YouTube, I swapped one on the driver's side, one on the passenger side, and I had working windows. I was happy as a clam. So whatever you want to fix, if you go on YouTube, you can find something to help you. But most of these videos, while very helpful, are not entertaining in the slightest. (laughs) They're often very dull, very poor speakers using reprehensible grammar. It can be really torturous to sit and listen through some of these YouTube videos, these these people who make them, though, they don't make the videos because they're beautiful geniuses with degrees in theater performance. They make these videos because they have some skill and they want to help other people with whatever that skill is, whether it be fixing your car, learning to play guitar, or something else. But imagine this you start watching dozens, just every day, you're going through several videos of septic repair videos. So I have a, you know. Septic tank. So you're learning how to repair them yourself without having to hire somebody. So you're just watching these endlessly, video after video of septic repair. I know, thrilling. Well, then someone sees you doing this and they're a good brother, sister in the Christ and they know you're looking up all these videos and they come up to you and they say, Hey, can I help you fix your septic tank? Is there any way that I can help you financially or physically? Information. And you just turn and you look at them and you look puzzled and you say, I don't have a septic tank. So you see, nobody in their right mind would go and watch endless videos on septic tanks if you don't have a septic tank and you don't need one fixed. That would be very boring, very dull, and it would just be a torturous waste of time to watch videos on that. But when it comes to wisdom, we often behave as if that's the way things should be. The world says that wisdom is just being smart and making good decisions. The world says that the more knowledge you can accrue, the wiser you will be. But biblical wisdom challenges worldly wisdom, showing it to be a poor imitation of true wisdom. So biblical wisdom is different from worldly wisdom for many reasons, but perhaps the main reason is found in the results of wisdom. True wisdom cannot stop at intellectual ascent. It can't stop at just knowing things. So what James is going to show us is that godly wisdom will always produce a harvest of righteousness, and there can be no disconnect between wisdom and fruit, like there is with a man watching septic repair videos who doesn't even have the septic tank. So wisdom will and indeed must lead to holy living before God Almighty, or it is a poor worldly counterfeit. So then the question is, how do we attain godly wisdom? How do we know what godly wisdom is? Well, wisdom is found only in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because the gospel has transformed us, We are called to live wisely. So, with that as my introduction, let's read James 3 starting in verse 13. So, James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So what we're actually going to do this morning is we're going to actually look through three different sections of James. We're looking as a whole, what does James teach on wisdom? So what I want us to get from this section, this first point we're going to look at, is that because the gospel has transformed us, we must know what wisdom is. So this is looking at the what of wisdom. What does James teach wisdom is? So James begins this section by teaching the interconnectedness of wisdom and its resultant fruits. If you are truly wise, then you will display your wisdom by living wisely. So just as chapter two, if you go back and read chapter two sometime, teaches that faith without works is dead. True faith will and indeed must result in good works in your life, or it is not true faith. It is worthless. So true wisdom and works are inseparable. We also see that wisdom and faith are connected for various reasons. And we'll see more of those connections as we work through this text. But right away, we see that both faith and wisdom produce good works. So wisdom will show itself in its conduct and in its works. It is not merely an intellectual entity. It's not just, I have gained this knowledge, therefore I am wise. That's not what it is. Wisdom is not abstract philosophy. It's not new age spirituality. Wisdom is productive. It creates something. It creates something that is valuable, that is beautiful, that is helpful, that is effective. So wisdom, sometimes it is theoretical. Sometimes it is in your mind, wisdom. But that wisdom must then come out as fruit down the road, or it is not truly wisdom. It is just knowledge. So James provides us with more help by telling us what wisdom is not. He describes a confident, arrogant, and an oppressive man who uses his knowledge for evil. So you can picture the cutthroat businessman who's willing to take out anyone and anything to get his way and to get ahead. Think of the know-it-all that uses their knowledge to try to beat people down, to try to establish his superiority over a room. We have all know the arrogant type of person that cannot be taught anything. They can't listen, they always correct you, and they're just impossible to talk with. And I think this is the kind of person that James is describing here. So this type of wisdom, which some might call earthly wisdom, is jealous. It envies knowledge for knowledge's sake. It always seeks to be the smartest in the room. It is ambitious, and it seeks control, power, and renown. Furthermore, it is boastful, making sure everyone knows just how smart it really is. It's also proud. It trusts in itself, and it is the end and measure of all things. It is domineering. It seeks to gain control over everything possible. Verse 16 gives us a summary, so if you look at verse 16, it gives us a summary of the other possible traits of such knowledge. Where worldly wisdom exists, there is the potential for every other evil you can think of. Jealousy and selfish ambition are at the root of worldly knowledge, and a tree is known by its fruit. So if the roots are evil to begin with, then how could the tree and the fruit be any different? If the root is evil, so will the results of that root be evil. All right, so where does this type of wisdom come from? Well, James tells us that it originates from a trifecta of evil. He calls it earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And I don't know about you, but after hearing that description, I don't want to say I have this kind of worldly wisdom. I do not want anything from those three sources. So that which comes from the sinful world and from demons is, I shouldn't even need to tell you this, not something we should ever want. If human wisdom's beginning is evil then its end cannot be otherwise. So have any of you ever read through the book of Judges in the Bible? Show of hands, anybody? A few? Okay, most of you, very good. All right, well, as you read through Judges, you probably have noticed a line that appears frequently. And it's really the main point, it's the theme of Judges. And Judges 21-25 says it, but it says it in many other places. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the book shows a continual downward spiral of greater and greater wickedness in Israel as they have no king, as they descend more and more into chaos. And it's really a difficult book to read through for that reason. It can be painful to read through the book of Judges and see what Israel did left to themselves pursuing their own evil hearts. But the thing is that in their eyes, they were correct. Everything they did was right in their own eyes. They lived according to worldly wisdom, therefore in their eyes they were wise. They were the wisest of all. Meanwhile, if you look at Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 7, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. So we are not the judges of wisdom, and to live like we are is to welcome disaster. Romans 12, 16 adds to that command when it says, Never be wise in your own sight. So we should never be wise in our own sight for many reasons, but chief among them is that we have no power to determine what wisdom is. It does not originate from us. It does not come from us. Therefore, how could we be the judge of what wisdom is? Listen to Romans 1, through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what the world calls wisdom, we must label correctly as Scripture has labeled it. It is foolishness. And there can be no wisdom while rejecting the source of wisdom. So to do that is like trying to connect your hose to a gasoline tank instead of the water spigot and then going to water the garden and then being surprised when your plants die. It's like if you water from a bad source, it's going to kill things. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 3, 18 through 20, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches them in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So the wisdom of the world is not true wisdom. Man may appear wise, as if he has all the answers, but if he is living according to what he sees is right, he is a fool in the eyes of God. But that doesn't just apply to individuals. That kind of thinking applies to whatever the political or philosophical climate of the times is. So though American culture may lead you to think that it has all the answers, that it knows everything, it is merely foolishness in the eyes of God if it is not according to his word. Evolution, critical race theory, LGBTQ, emotivism, whatever you want to add to that, all these things can really just become cheap facades placed upon the entrance to hell. Because if it's not from God, It is not true wisdom. So that's a lot about what wisdom is not. Now let's see what wisdom is, according to James. True wisdom is pure. It is not a mixed bag of good and evil. It's not half this and half that. There's no parts to it. It's simple. And by that, I mean it has the attribute of simplicity, meaning it doesn't have parts. It's not separated. It's not an alloy of multiple metals melted together. It's not a a compound of various chemicals dumped in a big vat. Wisdom is pure and unmixed, and it's pure and unmixed for one reason. What is its source? Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. It comes from above. And God is pure and unmixed and holy, and there is no evil in Him. Therefore, how could wisdom have any evil in it if it was truly from Him? So it comes from above, from the only God. Furthermore, we see from the text that wisdom is also peaceable and gentle And there's a sharp contrast to the worldly wisdom James told us about a minute ago, which was jealous, ambitious, and selfish, and evil. But true wisdom does not seek gain. It is always satisfied, and it is always good. So where there is no desire to dominate through evil, there will be no conflict. So it is peaceable. But wisdom is not just peaceful, it is also peaceable. And the difference between those two words is that wisdom is not only able to keep the peace, but is able to make peace. It's not only a preserving agent, but an offensive agent for good. Wisdom is peaceable. Wisdom is also gentle, recognizing the image of God in every human and seeking to be a servant of all. It's gentle because it always seeks the welfare of others before itself. True knowledge is also open to reason and correction. Proverbs 9, 8 through 9. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So wisdom is also productive because it is merciful, fruitful, impartial, and sincere. It affects us in every sphere of our life, no matter what we're doing. Our relationships with our neighbors in particular will show us whether or not wisdom is truly living within our hearts. If we're humble and gentle and caring with our neighbors, then we're seeing the fruits of wisdom being lived out. Verse 18 is a wonderful summary of this section. Those who are wise will be peacemakers, and those peacemakers will produce a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that a wonderful promise to God's people, that those who are practicing wisdom will produce a harvest of righteousness? Well, true wisdom will lead to great blessings in our relationships, in our families, and in our churches. And when we think through all that, it can be kind of hard to believe. How is wisdom able to accomplish so much? Well, why do you think that is? Again, we have to go back to the source. What is the source of true wisdom? The source of true wisdom is God. And thus, wisdom is able to bring peace to alienated friends, divided churches, and divided families. All right, so let's summarize this section before we go on to the next True wisdom is pure, coming from God alone, and it is shown by its fruit. All right. With that, if you would, take your Bibles and turn back to chapter 1 of James, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 here. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the point I want to look at as we examine this passage is that because the gospel has transformed us, we must know how to get wisdom. It's great to know what wisdom is, but it's good to know how to get it as well. And in a sense, this is the easiest section that we're going to look at this morning, because the text really answered the question right away. If you're lacking in wisdom, go to God and ask him for wisdom. He's the source. It's almost too easy, right? And it really doesn't seem like it could be the right answer. James, are you sure that's the answer? It seems too simple. All we have to do is ask, that's what the text says right away. So the initial proposition of this section is that we must ask for wisdom from God. But this isn't a casual kind of thing where, you know what, I feel like getting some wisdom today. I think I'll go by the drive thru and pick up some wisdom. That's not what it's talking about. It's not a McDonald's drive thru. This verb in the Greek is actually command. So if you lack wisdom, go ask for some wisdom from God now. There's some force behind it. But we are a very self sufficient society, aren't we? All we need in life to succeed is desire and drive and wanting it more than anyone else. But from the scriptures, we know that because of the fall, we do not naturally have true wisdom. We're totally depraved. Now, that does not mean we're as evil as we can be. It just means that every part of us has been affected by sin and by the fall. But even before the fall, Adam had wisdom. Think about this. It's kind of weird to think about. Adam only had wisdom because God had given him wisdom. If God is the true source and the only source of wisdom, then how could Adam have generated wisdom on his own? So even in the garden before the fall, he receives wisdom from God as a gracious gift. So if the Lord is the only true source of wisdom, then we can't generate it on our own anyway. So to go about thinking, I just need to meditate or think harder or learn more, no, God is the source. He's the one we have to rely on. Therefore, we must go to God and ask what we seek. But we cannot ask however we want and expect to be made wise. And that's where the seemingly really simple command gets a little more complex in this passage. There are two requirements for how we have to ask for wisdom. So first, you must ask in faith. Now, while it may seem an obvious point, this means that you actually need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God does not give wisdom to anyone who asks, but those who ask in faith. So examine your heart and ask yourself, why are you seeking this wisdom? If it is for any other reason than to be more Christ-like in your life, then you need to stop and address your heart motives. Because any motive that does not first and foremost seek the glory of the Lord is not right. The second requirement is that you must not doubt. So ask confidently, knowing that if we ask in faith, God is willing and able to give us wisdom. So James is not really talking about the occasional doubt we experience in trials and temptations. He's talking about someone who asks for wisdom, turns around and decides to take the sin instead, but then comes back again and asks for wisdom. But then they go back to the sin again. So picture a yo-yo going up and down over and over. God, make me wise. I'd rather have my sin. Make me wise. I'd rather have my sin. Back and forth. that's really what it means to be double-minded, to not be able to decide whether you want the world or whether you want the Lord. But when we ask correctly and with the right motivation, God is pleased to give us wisdom. So the right motivation is to always seek God's glory rather than our own. So if you're seeking God's glory, then getting wisdom is simple. Go to God and ask for it. And what does the text say? God will give it to you. And he will not just give you a little bit. God is no cheapskate when it comes to giving out wisdom. If you go in faith and you ask for wisdom, God will give generously to all without reproach. God does not withhold good things from his children. He wants us as the church to be wise and godly, able to discern the scriptures and to live upright and godly lives in the present age. He wants us to be wise We have a heavenly Father who is generous and loving, who is willing to supply us with all we need. I'm sure you're familiar with this text, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I think we try to overcomplicate things in our Christian lives at times. We read in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then we turn around and try to discern God's will for our lives like we're trying to solve the Da Vinci Code. We make being wise and following God's plan for our lives into some sort of scavenger hunt that we're supposed to figure out at each stage. And I think this is especially true for us when we're trying to make those big life decisions. You know, which which college should I go to? Is this the right person for me to marry? Is it time to have kids yet? Should we have kids? Is it time to retire yet? Should I take this job or that job? So in all these things, we often pray like we want God's insight and we want Him to lead us, but then we behave like we're waiting on a text message from God telling us what to do. But the thing is, we do not receive wisdom via lightning strike or an angel coming in and giving us an injection. We gain wisdom through the use of the ordinary means of grace, whereby the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and makes us holy. Now, if you don't know what the ordinary means of grace are, that's just word, so preaching and reading the word, sacraments, and prayer. And in that group, we have all we need in order to be wise and godly Christians. If you would, flip to 2 Timothy with me. We'll just look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And we'll read through to the end of the chapter. You see, we're going to talk about the word first here, and then we're going to go through sacrament and prayer. But you see in this text that God has given us revelation of himself through the Bible. It contains all we need for salvation and life, teaching us about God's character and what his law demands of us. And there, are, But then we can turn around and say, but there are many things that God doesn't say in his word. I don't read a passage about which job to take. But He does not leave anything secret when it comes to how we should live. He gives us the principles we need from His Word. And those principles are all we need to live holy lives. So the Scripture gives us all we need, and Scripture is perfectly effective. It's where Hebrews 4.12, I'm sure you know this section, or this passage. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And thus you see the power of the word and why it's able to make us wise. let's talk about the sacraments for a moment. So while baptism and communion may not seem to directly affect this conversation, they bear in themselves the marks and the promises of the new covenant. That is why we refer refer to them as signs and seals of the new covenant. And that comes from Romans 4.11, those two words. But they tell us that we are members of Christ's body, that the Lord has redeemed us for himself, and that he has given us rich promises through an eternal inheritance. So as we practice the sacraments, we are reminded of what it means to be in the Lord and what he requires of us. Thus, the sacraments can indeed grow us in wisdom as we utilize and partake of them correctly. All right, lastly, out of these three, let's talk about prayer. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays that the Ephesians would receive a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Well, his prayer for the Ephesians there is that the Christians in Ephesus would understand the word of God and be able to take it and apply it in their lives. So another way to say it is that Paul prayed that God would make them wise through the word. And in James 1, we're told to pray to God and ask for wisdom. That is really what we're doing every Sunday. We pray that the spirit of God would take his word and implant it upon our hearts. That's what we're here to do so that the spirit can work in us. All right, let's summarize this section before we move to the final and shortest section. Wisdom is attained by asking God rightly in prayer, the careful study of the perfect word of God, and the practice of the sacraments, which visibly and physically represent all of God's promises to us. All right, so now the question is, what do we do with all this data? We've talked about what wisdom is. We've talked about how to get wisdom, and James has given us a lot in these two passages, but how do we piece it all together? Well, I think the best way to do that in James is to look at one more passage. So turn to James chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse 13 and reading through to 17. So James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the point I want us to look at lastly here is that because the gospel has transformed us, we must apply wisdom. Again, it cannot just be head knowledge. We have to put it into practice. So in chapter 3, verse 13, James taught that wisdom cannot remain as only head knowledge, but must produce good results. And this section is a practical example of how we put wise living into practice. But it also introduces a new element to wisdom that we haven't talked about yet. That's because of the fall, our time on this earth is short. Our lives do not go on forever, but they grow and fade like the flowers of spring. Hannah and I just moved here recently, and in our yard there's a lot of different flowers and bushes that put out flowers, because the lady who lived there before loved to plant things. There's wisteria along our fence, there's some rhododendron, and they put out some beautiful blooms this spring. And they're just gorgeous, and it was a joy to walk out every morning and see them. But within about, I think it's two to three weeks now, they've all started to fall off and fade. So just like that, the beauty that was there has gone the other way and fallen off. So the fancy word we use for the shortness of human life, just like those flowers, is transience. So our lifespans are short, they're fragile, they're out of our hands, and every single one of us will die unless the Lord returns first. So James tells us that knowledge of that transience or the shortness of our life is one of the many things that should drive us to live wisely now. It's kind of funny that the realization and confrontation of our own mortality has a way of organizing our priorities, of making us think how we really want to live our lives. But then in this example, James gives us a negative example of a man boasting about his plans. So don't get me wrong. Don't get the text wrong. The the problem is not that he's a planner. The problem is that he thinks he has the ability to ensure his plans, and he's boastful about it. He is proud of his plans that he is going to bring to pass. So the man in question is similar to the concept of the American dream. If you just work hard enough and smart enough, you can do anything you want. That's not really a biblical idea, and that doesn't mean it's wrong to start a business or to go to med school or to plan out your career, but if you think that you're the one in control of your life and that you have the power to control what happens in your life, you're living like a fool. James is not forbidding us to have career paths. He's not saying don't make travel and vacation plans. He's telling us not to be presumptuous or arrogant as if we can control everything that happens. So you can make plans for your life, but submit those plans to God's plans for your life. They may very well be a part of his plan for you, but he may take you a completely different direction that you would never expect. For instance, I never thought I would be a pastor in high school, and then senior year of college, that changed. So wisdom is taking the biblical knowledge we have and utilizing it to glorify God in our lives. We do not know God's plans for our lives, so we must walk humbly in wisdom. Psalm 39, 4 through 5. O Lord, make me know what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. So utilizing our time to serve the Lord is the path to living wisely. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are... We are made from the dust, and to the dust we will return. Psalm 103, 14 says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So look at verse 17. I think this really provides the baseline for living wisely. It is the tagline that we should learn from James' negative example. If by wisdom we know what is right for us to do, and we fail to do it, we live foolishly. It is sin. All right, so let's wrap all this together and conclude here. So we began this morning by talking about what wisdom is. Wisdom comes only from God. It is pure. It is fruitful. It is peaceable. We then talked about how to attain wisdom. Wisdom is acquired through the ordinary means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer. Lastly, we saw that wisdom must be lived out fruitfully or it is not truly wisdom. It is not just knowledge, but a productive knowledge. It has a purpose, unlike someone binge-watching Septic Repair videos. So the key to living wisely is simple. It's not easy, but it is worth the effort. So being wise does not require a monthly membership. There are no five easy tips and tricks to becoming wise. There's no gimmicks involved at all. To gain wisdom, to grow in wisdom, we need to read and meditate on God's Word. We need to pray for Him to implant that Word in our hearts and others, and we need to live out that Word. So just as true faith must result in good works, so wisdom demands fruit from us. So no matter what you are doing, regardless of how important it may seem, ask yourself this question in every stage of life. What does the Bible command me to do here? Is there a specific command that tells me what to do? Or do I need to apply the larger principles of what the Bible teaches to this situation? So are you fighting with another believer The Bible commands you to stop and reconcile with them. Are you about to pass on gossip? The Word commands you to stop. Is what you're about to say going to sanctify those that are listening, or is it going to cut and hurt? James warns us in chapter 3 about the dangers of the tongue. So are you having trouble treating your spouse correctly? The Word commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church, but also commands wives to submit to their husbands. And there's no qualification given for either of those commands. Do you value church membership and attendance? Scripture tells us not to cease meeting together, to encourage one another, to be constant in prayer, and to honor the Sabbath day to the Lord through worship and rest. But the final question I have for you is this. Are you submitting your entire life to Christ? Christians, you belong to God. You have, or you cannot have a church version of yourself and a different version of yourself for the rest of the week. You cannot be very godly and holy with your family, church, and friends, and then go to work and completely forget that you were a Christian. So our duty is to apply the principles of the scriptures in every area of our life. So our duty, or excuse me, I read that wrong. Right. So whoever knows the right thing to do, remember 417, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So will we fail at times to do that? Absolutely we're going to fail. But that is our challenge nonetheless. That is what Scripture commands us to do. And when we fail, we can go back to Christ in repentance and ask for His mercy and grace to continue to sanctify us. And that is the key to becoming wise. Proverbs says that Lady Wisdom cries aloud in the street. She calls out to every passerby. She says, stop being simple and foolish. Listen to my instruction and I will pour out my spirit upon you. Seek after wisdom like silver and gold. Since wisdom is from God, it is like seeking Christ himself, who is the pearl of greatest price. There's nothing more valuable we can have as Christians than to seek wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to live your life in a way that pleases your Father who is in heaven. But then we live in this world and we live in a falling, chaotic, and a violent world which is desperately in need of true wisdom. We need wise Christians to live in a godly way and to carry forth the message of the gospel to the world and bring peace to those who are currently suffering. And if you remember, true wisdom is peaceable, making us fruitful peacemakers. And that's where Jesus says in the gospels, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So let's pursue wisdom together, my friends.